All right. Um, so yes, my topic tonight is cross-dressing, the appearance of evil. Does the book's cover matter? And yes, I did manage to slip in two puns into my title. But uh, I'm just trying to be a little, have a little light-heartedness here. Um, first off, it's not what you think. No, I'm not planning to call any one of you out for that dress I saw you wearing last weekend. That's not what we're doing at all. Um, it's actually more than guys in dresses. That's the traditional Western interpretation of cross-dressing, but that's not actually what uh, Judaism really focuses on. Um, some examples of things you might not have thought about. What about Purim costumes? Is it wrong for a guy or girl to dress as the opposite gender if it's for fun, quote-unquote? Um, what about unisex clothes? Are those okay? Is there such a thing as unisex clothes? Here's a real here's a thing. Yeah, par of clothes. Can men shave their underarms? Uh, should men shave their underarms? Is a separate question, but can they? Is valid. Uh, yeah. Okay. One other thing about this rule that's really interesting: Judaism normally is very firm. It's black and white. Period. But this one actually fits according to your cultural custom. It's actually within the, the Jewish tradition itself, very clear. It does vary according to custom. Now, we'll talk very briefly about the fact there's limits to that, but essentially that is an important guideline to remember when talking about this topic. Quick question. Um, so, according with that point, uh, varies according to cultural custom, so that would be an example of maybe in Scotland and the yeah, exa- exactly. Um, we'll get into more of those details later, but uh, yeah, exactly. That's the sense where if it's a man's clothing in one place, it's not a man's clothing somewhere else, well, you go with where you are, essentially. Um, most importantly, and this is, even though I'm not going to hammer this point, I do want to remind us all of this, that this is an issue where even the simplest command, it may not seem like it's that difficult or that complicated, it has layers. Keep studying, guys. There's always more to learn. There's always more to what you thought you knew. Um, you may think, I've read the Torah portion nine times now. Read it again, you'll find something different. Um, and even keep setting those commandments that you thought you understood completely. Um, so it's not what you think, it's what you wear. Uh, <laughs> the scriptural command is Deuteronomy 22.5. Male garb shall not be on a woman, and a man shall not wear a woman's garment. For anyone who does so is an abomination of Hashem. That's the Art Scroll Humash version. Um, pretty strong language there. Anyone who does so is an abomination of Hashem. Um, We see here the the man and woman parallel. Uh, And for the men, it's very simple. The Hebrew, male, um, the man shall not wear a woman's garment. That's essentially a standard translation. You look at those words, those Hebrew words, and how they're used in the rest of the the Tanakh, and it's pretty consistent. That is, do not wear a clothing of, in this case, a woman. Um, but for the women's translation, it's really weird. The Hebrew does not fit the simplest pattern. You'd think it'd be the same. It's not. It's actually much more broad. The male garb is the word kli, which has many uses. This includes articles of silver and gold, uh, which we see um, in Genesis. I think also shows up in Exodus when Moses says, go get stuff from the Egyptians. Uh, when Jacob sends out Esau to go hunting, he refers to his hunting gear, uh, whether I think one translation actually used the sword and uh, bow as that gear. Again, that's also the word kli in Hebrew. Um, the bags or vessels that the brothers carry grain in, uh, in the story of Joseph, are also the same word. Um, it, sounds, it sounds so Scottish. Yeah. Get your kli. Yeah, get your kli. Um, <laughs> Bring it so we can go hunt it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so we've got... Uh, 
Some other really weird ones. Um, the tabernacle has kli, which are referred to um, focusing on vessels. I think actually the um, the table of showbread also has kli, technically. Again, so has the kli? kli, kli. I'm using the the kli or has kli? kli, kli. The ver the noun here in Hebrew, kli. Um, the idea being uh, essentially kli are uh, more proper translation is not garb. It's probably more like. Um, Stuff? Item, utensil, like vessel, accessory. accessory. But it's but it is broad. It can include weapons. It can include armor. It can include cargo, as we see in Jonah. So essentially, it's a very broad word, um, which is actually really interesting because what this helps us think about is that the command is more than just clothes. And that's actually a very important principle. As, as Judaism begins to look at the concept of cross-dressing, uh, it's much more than just clothing. Let's look at the reasons for the commandment. Um, the Art School Stone Kamash Commentary notes in the commentary that part of the, a big part of this is keeping the genders different and separated both literally and symbolically. Now I say literally, I mean the sense, um, excuse me, symbolically rather, the sense of course that men and women are different. We have different roles, we have different appearance. Um, we're not trying to mix them in the way that they look, the way that they act, etc. You mentioned earlier the passage from Paul talking about the man who's effeminate and the problem with that. Same concept here. Men and women are different. Time Magazine found that out, I think, in the 50s or 60s. It's still true today. (laughs) Now, another important thing that shows up a lot in Judaism, it shows up, I think, briefly in the art scroll, but also elsewhere you see it a lot, is the issue of immorality. Um, Part of when I talk about men and women being separate, literally, it's the sense that if you dress like somebody you're not, you can interact with them in ways you might not be able to otherwise. Shakespeare plays... Or shouldn't be able to. Or shouldn't be able to. Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire's example I put up there. Shakespeare plays are replete with this. You've got, you know, the girl wants to get to, to the guy, but she can't get to the guy because the guy is somewhere she can't get to. So she dresses like a guy. But then a girl ends up falling in love with her thinking she is a guy, and yeah. Oh, like yes, so, oh. Essentially. So, the, the point being, sorry. So we got this issue. Immorality is an important part of this. Now, keep this in mind. Because this is a very important issue. When we start thinking about what counts as cross-dressing, intention does play a role in some, to some degree, and immorality is important here. Um, another important reason, Chabad.org notes that um, sinful thoughts. guy puts on a woman's piece of clothing, it can give him things he just doesn't need to be thinking about. So, um, which is actually another important point. Well, there's, there's weird guys that do that. There are, and but my point is, that, that actually is, an, I think, personally, just at a personal level, this is an important reason why you shouldn't even play with this stuff because it's really, it can be dangerous to your, to your spiritual makeup to be playing with things that are really not where you're supposed to be in. Was it a coincidence Mrs. Dalbar that it was homosexuals who made the outfit for her? made the mask, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Uh, that was the reference from the uh, Chabad Dorog, their, their citation that they gave. Faces, yeah, be- beautiful faces. faces. But, um, yeah, which is kind of funny <laughs> by itself. I've got, a lot of, I've got a lot of references on here, which is I'm honestly I'm pulling from my sources where I found them. So um, that's kind of for, that's just for honesty's sake more than anything, um, if you want to look it up yourself. Uh, let's look at the standard. The Shulchan Aruch, as we, as we learn on our wall, is right around there. Um, Shulchan Aruch is the standard of Judaism. They take everything in Judaism, boil it down into, you know, only 10 volumes instead of 35, and um, 
They give you every possible imaginary thing, or thing you could imagine, right? not imaginary things, but things that you could imagine on, on, the, on the Torah. In this case, they have it on Siman 171. It says, quote, It is prohibited for a man to wear even a single article of clothing of a type worn specifically by a woman, even though it is evident from the rest of his clothing that he is a man. The italics there is not actually in the Hebrew. That's just inserted for the English um, to make it clear. But we also see... Um, Shulchan Aruch catches it way beyond just clothing. It says not only clothing is prohibited, but even any ornament in any act of beautification that is particular to a woman according to the local custom. So watch out for your earrings, your eye makeup. Well, the weird thing about the... Uh, well, the odd thing is, so go back to custom again, I actually did read one place that said earrings were okay. But that, obviously... Again, we're talking custom here. I'm not saying that that was actually a rabbi who just like said that. I can't remember exactly where I saw it. I did a lot of research, a lot of message boards and other types of things. So I don't think that your, your basic crusty sailor is wearing a ring to look pretty. No. Isn't, it, isn't that sort of a, a silly way to do it? Because if you do it according to local custom, then sinners are going to change the local custom. Well, that is important, and that actually does play a role. Um, we, we can dig into that a little bit in a minute. Um, but yeah, you have a very good point there, because the question is, whose standard is the local custom? So to keep this mitzvah, you have to be worldly. You need to know what the latest fashion trends are and avoid them. Well, to a degree. And actually, I, again, this and I know it sounds kind of crazy and ridiculous, but there is a certain degree of understanding the culture you're in that does become important. Um, and I know it's an old catchphrase in the world, not of it, and the potential dangers even within that catchphrase. But the idea is that understanding where you are is not entirely bad, and in some cases can actually be very helpful. And it is important to be relevant without compromise. And relevance actually can affect your image in a bad way. Because if you're contrasting, let's say, for example, that I decided, you know, maybe I'm from Scotland and I decide I'm wearing a kilt everywhere I go, and I go strolling through the Middle East in my kilt, I'm going to have potentially problems. People are going to actually... I could be killed. And people may actually think I'm cross-dressing when I'm not. So it is important to have some degree of, of, of cultural understanding. Well, we would be cross-dressing in that culture. <laughs> well, that's right. Um, if it's above the knees, I think that may not. You might be killed for not wearing a burqa. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. I think it's... Uh, raise a good point, and we should recognize that throughout the scriptures, all of the, uh, many if not all, of the righteous men we have as examples were fully aware of their culture. Daniel was part and parcel aware of what was going on. Mordecai was so aware of what was going on that he was fasting and praying for his people and for the government. Um, Moshe Rabbeinu was clearly understanding what was happening. Uh, Paul is, is not only aware of what's happening in his culture and in the culture around him, but as he travels, he's actually able to quote or recognize third-party players mm -hmm. in order to establish a dialogue and then present Messiah. So um, it, it doesn't take a lot of study. Many times, if you're living the righteous walk, all you have to do is walk outside. <laughs> and you immediately recognize, I am a lot different than the other people that I'm walking with here. You know, because you can see it. So, I, I think we should recognize, it's not a bad thing to know the culture. 
to be a part of the culture. It's a problem. To participate. Right. Potentially. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's the issue. And, and of course, all of these things, women are included as well in this topic of, of men dressing like this. You know, women should not be acting like men. Same concept. Also, Shulchan Aruch. So we want to achieve relevance without compromising yeah. relevance. True. Very true. That's nice. Good catchphrase. That can go on a bumper sticker. Well, if the words are really small. But maybe two, two layers, you know. Or the whole bumper. That would be cool. Um, ramifications of this. And this is actually one of the things that was really interesting for me. When you think cross-dressing, my first thought is, you know, the Mrs. Doubtfire guy in a dress. But ramifications from Judaism's perspective are really broad. And a lot of things that I hadn't even really thought about before suddenly go, oh, yeah. Um, like, for example... Men shouldn't shave their armpits to the skin level, and they even note that they shouldn't even do it by scratching, like if you're just trying to get hair out with your hands or something. Okay, anyway, sorry, that's a little gross. The point being, though, is that the the of course the sages are very, very, very practical, and their 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 issue is they're trying to avoid men acting like women. Again, a culture does play a role, I think, in this potentially, even in this one, um, and the issue being that you're trying to be separating the genders. Um, you can't. That one of the one of the things in Shulchan Aruch is you cannot pluck out white hairs or dye white hair black because women do the same thing. Strangely enough, a follow up I got a follow up I got said that men can dye their hair white, which I thought was really interesting. Because yeah. women would never do that. I guess so. I don't know. I know some hair club for men. Well, again, I want to I want to make clear as as we're going through this. I'm pulling the Fox News you report, you decide. I'm going through kind of some of what Judaism says. There's a lot of debate in these things. You will probably find other people who will disagree with the people that I put up. You'll probably find things I didn't think about. Um, so as you're making decisions on these things for your own personal halakha, uh, just keep in mind that there may be, there may be more to the story than even what, even what I've found. Um, and you may not necessarily agree with everything I put up there. Uh, also, another thing is, if it's not common in your location, you shouldn't be looking into a mirror if you're a guy, because that's what women do. They gave some exceptions, some really funny ones. For example, if, you, if you're cutting your own hair, you can look into a mirror. But the, the catch-all there, and actually the most important part of this phrase is not that men can't look into mirrors, but the bottom where it says, if you're in a place where looking into mirrors is common for men. In other words, culture does play a role here. Bathroom, shaving. Culturally, that's where men look at the mirror. Yes, and actually, in our culture today, it's entirely appropriate and fine for men to be concerned about their personal appearance, no, not like excessively, but to a degree. And in fact, it's it's actually would be the wrong witness if you were to show up outside disheveled. Um, and we see even from James, you know, looking in the mirror, walking out again. So, Yako, sorry, be talking to yourself when you're walking in the mirror. Well, do women do that? Yeah. So, going back again to the purpose of the commandment, this plays a role in what it does. So, Shulchan Aruch um, talks about the idea of the purpose. Taz, who shows up quite a bit, uh, this is your idea, is the, uh, the citation. It's only when done for the purpose of beautification. So, practical use is excluded. In other words, if you're trying to look like the opposite gender, if it's a fashion element like the opposite gender, then we have a problem. If it's a practical reason like the example they gave here, is a woman wearing a man's hat that's real broad in the rim. You're just trying to get at the sun. Right. Okay, so my wife and I are walking home from a restaurant and we've got to go to the car. And I see her shiver. I take off my man's very manly coat and put it on her to keep her warm. This would be 
I think that would be I think that would be permissible in here. And I actually saw that example specifically again. I'm trying to remember the exact person who who gave the green light on that one. But again, um, in um, I have seen that example mentioned, and that principle certainly I think would fit within what I have seen from the actual uh, rabbis. So. Again, so practicality plays a really important role in this. Um, another example is discomfort or pain. Um, not to be too gross, but they do list armpit hair as another issue there. Like if you have maybe an infection or something, you can remove hair for getting rid of the pain or discomfort. Um, another thing they said, the dying hair one, guys. Um, if you need to get a job, or another example was, I think on Chabad.org, they mentioned if you need to get a mate, if you, if you have a really necessary purpose for dyeing that hair black, because you're, you're going gray way too early and it's going to make you look really bad, then it's okay to dye your hair for a specific purpose. The key is you just can't be doing it to be deceptive. So, you know, if you're 30 and you're gray... But... Mm. Would you not be still being deceptive because you're changing your hair even though you're young and trying to achieve the attraction of another woman? Because you look old, then are you not deceptive from your true self? Yeah, well, your roots show in this case, and this is one thing you're going to see, we're going to show, I'm going to very briefly talk, touch on the issue of modesty later. When you're talking about the cross-dressing topic, this is simply one branch that's brought up. And you bring up a good point. There are lots of Torah commands that fit into these issues. Honesty in this case is one of them. So, you know, if you're dyeing your hair so that you look younger at your employment, so they don't think you're older than you say on your application... Okay, that's one thing. If you're dyeing your hair for the woman you love and she, you're never planning to tell her you're gray then we'll, until you're married, that's probably a problem. So, again, we're gonna, we're gonna, as we go through this, we're going to see that this is a very specific command, but it's linked to lots of others. And so when, as you're making decisions on this, um, it's important to keep those other ones in mind. Um, that's a good point, Isaac. So, some more guidelines. Um, Chabad.org is a great source for a lot of information. They had a whole little, like, pamphlet type thing basically on the issue of cross-dressing with all I mean like 25 different little cross-reference things at the bottom you know the reference page was so long you realize the cross-dressing was a problem for the uh, it's not a problem uh, it's not a problem is the sense that there's it's just that there's more to think about than you would normally think about and there's a lot of exceptions so it's important to know what's permitted and what's not um, they note that opposite gender can't wear a gender specific style an example would be like women wearing a man's style shirt uh, the buttons do flip, by the way. Yeah. In case you didn't know that. Yeah. Men's are on one side, women's are on the other. Um, so in this case... Belts go one way for men, and women's belts go the other way. I did not know I will say, though, that jackets don't. Zippers on jackets is not specified gender. I checked. It doesn't work there. modesty or something like that. Is there really a problem for a wife to wear her husband's shirt like as a... Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that actually has been brought up before. Um, and I think that that's one thing. If we kind of get into this, um, part, of, part of these issues, uh, unisex clothing does play a role. There's nothing wrong with unisex clothing. We'll actually have an exception that's very similar to that one in a minute. Um, but at the same time, the main thing, again, they're trying to be careful about looking like wearing things specifically for the opposite gender. When it comes to a, man, oh, a man's button-down shirt that's very clearly a man's shirt, I think that that's something, I mean, one thing I'm going to say at the end of this is that as the guy in the household, you've got to make the call on those types of things. In my household, I think it's a problem. I think it's too much like wearing some of the opposite gender's clothing. And I think that I'm a little uncomfortable with that. 
but when it comes to uh, some of the things, I'm more lenient. And I think that's one thing you see. When you look at the Judaism approach to a lot of this, some things are very hard and fast. There's also a lot of open, openness to and a lot of debate. So I want to I say, like I said before, as I'm going through this, I'm not trying to tell you what you should do. I'm trying to give you the tools as you think about it and how you want to approach it. As with the, the unisex clothing, would that kind of, would the culture again play a role later on down the road when it's like they've released something that's supposed to be unisex, but only women have been buying it, you know, hmm. and then, I guess, does that fit in as well? Is that why you have to have both in that case? So you would sort of check back with the, the culture and what's going on there? That's a potentially good point. I mean, I think about, I mean, one of the funniest examples I heard is the fact that pants comes up a lot. Can women wear pants? Well, someone once pointed out that a long, long time ago, women wore pants. And then men, and men wore dresses, essentially. You know, the flowing robes and all that stuff. So, obviously, style and culture change, and fashion changes over time, both ways. It's not just that it becomes less restrictive. Sometimes it can become more restrictive. And you do need to be careful about those things as well. Uh, for example, a, one example like that, platform shoes. 25 years ago, a guy wearing platform shoes was in complete fashion and could go disco balling you know, all night long. If you see a guy walking around in platform shoes today, you're thinking, either A, <laughs> what time period does he think he's in, or B, Something doesn't seem quite right about that. So, my point being, just, sorry? There's one now. Uh, we all know them as Uggs, that women wear Uggs. They make a male version of it, and it's not, you still look like a woman. You look like a woman. So, again, knowing the style of the culture today is important. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter whether Russ is wearing them or not. Uh, important like debate issue here. Talit tefillin come up a lot. Can a, can a woman wear a talit? Can a woman wear a tefillin? Targum Yonatan says, nope, it's a men-only thing. But then the Talmud points out that Saul's daughter wore tefillin and nobody stopped her. So apparently Rashi's daughters may have worn tefillin too. It's... There's a lot more debate in this issue. So again, I, I bring that up not so much to say, go buy tefillin for your daughters or your wife. My point, or not, I mean, depending on what stance you're taking, is simply, again, to point out that there's debate, there's discussion, there's, um, there's room for research, and, and thinking about this and, and, and determining halakha for your family. Um, another important one that's really weird that you might not think about, because the kli gever can be used for wep- weapons, the, the word for man's garb, um, Judaism does not like women carrying manly weapons. Swords would be an example in ancient times. And they use the example of Jael, or Yael, when she kills Sisera. She's, they point out that she used a tent peg. She didn't kill him with a manly weapon. Oh, so women are more creative by nature anyway. So. I guess so. I thought one comment that was really kind of funny, they pointed out that women had to be womanly when killing people. But, so, so, like... An M9 versus 45. Well, actually, that comes up. Believe it or not, believe it or not, there is a breakdown on what gun counts. So we'll get to that in a minute. Women, the idea you can't carry that sissy gun anymore. But one thing we mentioned earlier. um, The pink glove. You mentioned earlier, Isaac, the issue of honesty and how important that can be. Um, That just goes back to the idea that different commands fit in together. Modesty is another one that fits in. And I want to make it clear that even if you look at it and go, well, it's not cross-dressing, it's not wearing the opposite gender's clothing, that doesn't necessarily make it appropriate to wear. Again, modesty plays a role. What is appropriate for other people? And actually, in Judaism, it's really interesting. Um, They look at it and they point that 
place and audience actually play a role when we're talking about modesty versus cross-dressing. If it's a cross-dressing issue, most people say you can't wear it at all, in any circumstance, any point at all. There are some who kind of give some exceptions different places. Some say women can, but generally speaking, the, the general rule that I found was there's no exception, public, private, doesn't matter what, what, who you're surrounded by. If it's not for your gender, don't, don't dress that way. So can't go try on your, you know, your wife's dress in the closet, guys. Um, but modesty is different. If it's a modesty issue, Judaism says if you're alone, sometimes, depending on who you're reading, and certainly if you're with your own gender, only your own gender, there is leniency there. Um, and some example that they gave would be like, uh, again, I'm not saying one thing or the other on pants, um, specifically, but Judaism has questions, well, what do you do with pants? And pants, actually, there's a debate on, on this becoming a unisex item. Pants have become worn by so many women, they've become designed for women that are very different from the designs for men, that there's a number of people in Judaism who are essentially saying, this is no longer a cross-dressing issue, now it comes down to modesty. Is it modest or not? So even for those who say women should not wear pants in public because of modesty, they have no problem, in several instances, wearing pants like a women's exercise group. Spandex. Well, in that case, it is spandex, probably. But women's exercise group comes up, or potentially wearing pants, um, maybe in your own home. Uh, another example they gave was ski pants, because it's a very practical use. Um, although, again, they kind of suggest find ways to try and uh, wear a skirt or something. But... Essentially, I don't know how that would work, but anyway, um, essentially, uh, again, modesty is different from cross-dressing. So just to, the main point in bringing this up is partly to, t- to remind us what, what the cross-dressing thing means, but also to highlight the fact that there are the rules at play. So be careful when you're thinking about this. Don't assume just because I have my mind wrapped around this one that I got it all figured out. So uh, have we defined specifically what is meant by modesty? Does it mean to revealing of the form, to, re- to revealing of the flesh? What, what specifically are we going there? From Judaism's perspective, when it comes to women at least, the focus is on form. I mean, flesh, I think, is an issue too, but, they are, but, but, but generally speaking, flesh is not a big deal, I don't think, for, for Jewish women normally. Like, that's kind of obviously a problem. Their bigger focus is on form. They're very much troubled by the shape being revealed by the clothing. Form-fitting. It doesn't necessarily have to be form-fitting even for Judaism. One reason why a lot of Jew- not, well, a lot of Orthodox, at least, you know, are not allowing pants is they're concerned that it just you can see the whole shape of a woman with the pants. And that's their concern. Um, I'm not saying that needs to be our concern necessarily. That's their reason for it. And I would add that if you're a Hasidic and you're a male, the, the aspect of modesty comes even to the, the quality of clothes you wear. Mm-hmm. If you're wearing thousand dollar suit, you're not dressing modestly, you're trying to show off mm-hmm. and, and, and what would be considered a modest way because you're covering yourself, but you're not humbling your, your appearance by each But, didn't we discuss a thing where, uh, or maybe I just read it where, uh, I read in the uh, letter for the ages where it discusses not wearing, uh, a rich man not dressing his son in a poorly fashion yeah, so that he would dress appropriate to your exactly. income level. I think there's a difference in being a modest person and dressing overly flashy, but it says you should not dress yeah. in a poor way and appear like... Yeah, exactly. And if anybody's got a $1,000 suit they need to get rid of because of this, I, I'm looking for it. <laughs> and, and actually, that, that modesty issue is a good point because I have, I have read the opposite view, again, coming back to the idea of, like we talked about earlier, about being disheveled and not looking in the mirror. Modesty also, I think, encourages you to look presentable when you go out. In fact, even presentable at home. One example that I've read was of a rabbi who 
started combing his hair when he's about to walk inside. And his, his disciples look at him and go, why are you, you know, somebody inside? Why are you, you know, making sure you look okay before you go in your own home? And he responded by saying that, and the merit of my wife, the Shekinah, is in my home. So keep that in mind too, guys. You know, it's easy when you go home just to want to go and crash in your sweatpants and whatever else. But your wife is another person as well. So keep her in mind, even in the home. I was just uh, wondering, uh, Peter, when he says not to uh, invest too much in costly apparel, is he speaking more so from what we were discussing about dressing according to your income level? And not... I haven't studied that, but that I think that seems like a valid approach. Yeah, well, as far as or, you know, ornament herself and everything, but he's talking about the meekness, the heart. Yeah. Certainly, I think in Peter trying to, you know, like a form of idolatry where you're trying to have nice things or coveting things that you sure need to have. Right? And I think Peter's focus is is primarily on the idea of um, of what's your message. In other words, like with the women, in that sense, is don't try and win your husband over by looking great and thinking that's going to make him into this godly man. You need to win him over with the spirit that is rich sure. and and pure. Um, but again, I mean that still is a factor. My wife has given me permission to share this with all of you. We're growing in this whole issue together. And um, we went through this period where she was accustomed to wearing what the culture does now, as we know, man, is that uh, women dress to, to feed our hunger. So tight jeans, tight pants, you know, in the flesh, men are hungry for that. And if women, if you're dressing that way on purpose, then you're appealing to their hunger, whether you know it or not, right? So as we've grown as a household, we have just slowly been trying to define modesty um, with the form. Just like you said, it doesn't have to um, always be dresses, but if you wear pants, something that it can be flowing over the pants so that the form isn't def- definable. Something that frames your face. rather. I mean, we talk a lot about head coverings. I think a rear end covering is just as important. <laughs> Maybe more important. Yes, so that so that your face is framed. Because the eyes are windows of the soul, right? We should be encouraging our women to frame their face, not their form. So but I want to tell you guys, the first time I said something to my wife, it didn't go over very well. I was gonna say I'm serious. I'm just sharing this. She told me I could share this with you. In fact it went horribly, okay? But I knew in the long term that that's the that's my role, okay? My role is to be conformed to the image of a holy Savior as is hers. I've got to lead that. So I've got to go through those difficult conversations and get her rid of clothes and shaking my head and say, no, I really don't want you to wear that because if I weren't your husband, see, I should be, I should be the only one that can see that detail of your hips and your rear end. Okay? Somebody else can see it. That's not okay because, I mean, I'm tempted in my flesh to do that with, with other women and I know what that's like. So as you're increasing in holiness, right? Okay, so you're becoming more sensitive to these things than other women. Now you know other men can see your wife like that? Come on. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. Wait till your daughters. I know. Trying to start early. These guys are looking at your daughters yeah. that way. Oh, right. I, I really appreciate all the, the comments we've had so far. Um, one of the issues that I've, I've come across in just talking with people at, over time, what about if you come from a culture? where that demonstration or revealing of the, the, the form and flesh is acceptable. Think 
Think Florida. Think California. Think, think Greece. These beach type. Think these There's beach type. Well, well, I think I think this is. Well, you can even you can take it further and you know look at like Africa where you know women only wear things in their bottom half. But I mean, I think that is one issue that does come up, and this is one thing that Judaism wrestles with. Okay, this is if if, if cross dressing in particular, that getting away from the modesty one just a little bit because it's kind of outside the scope of this, but if, if cross-dressing is determined partly by culture, whose culture do you, do you follow? Yeah. Because if, you, if you're a Jewish person living in Brooklyn, and you base your standard off of somebody living in Manhattan, uh, you know, somebody, some secular person living in Manhattan, that's very different from basing your standard off of the Orthodox neighbor in Brooklyn. So they're, they're, one of the things that they tend to want to focus on is, let's be careful. The outside culture, I think, can have some say, in, to a degree, on an issue like cross-dressing, of what's men's or women's clothing. But let's not let, again, that compromise issue, let's not let the outside culture dictate to us what our standards are. And that is, that's something you have to be really careful with. So, um, again, I, like I said, modesty is a little outside the scope of this. Um, and that's one thing that I think needs even more research than what I've done on cross-dressing because there's a lot of stuff there and you want to be careful in all of these different issues. Actually, I think Greg was next. Um, so, several comments. Just to follow up on some of the comments. I mean, great comments. Wholeheartedly agree. And I know, uh, at least with, uh, you know, with, with my daughter, she, you know, when she goes to school or whatever, a lot of times she'll wear jeans, but she knows she has to have a long, yeah. you know, kind of a long you know, shirt or, or, or something because the, the, the tuchus has to be covered. Amen. It has to be. So, and that's just kind of, that's the whole thought, you know. So, anyway, so I appreciate yeah. that comment. Yeah. But, um, but I think the other, the other idea of modesty, or zimutes in Hebrew, is is what type of attention are we drawing to ourselves? And for what purpose? And so, and that applies for both men and women. We tend to think of, we tend to think of this topic primarily, you know, from, a, from the standpoint of women. But um, if you are dressing for the purpose of trying to catch somebody else's eye, yeah. You're probably you've probably gone too far because yeah. you are you're missing you're missing the whole point. Now that's not to say that you know uh, that you shouldn't you know be presentable and, and you know I mean there's there's an aspect here where uh, we want to we are representing something or someone I should say we're representing someone when we go out and our dress should be cognizant of the one that we're representing. Right. And, um, and if you are a, uh, a woman and you're, you're allowing the culture to uh, over-influence the way you dress, um, and you're feeding the, yeah. the natural appetite of the opposite gender, you, you are doing a huge... Not only are you potentially drawing attention to yourself that you really may not want, but you're really doing a huge disservice to the brothers in in your community. You know? And it really gets back to, you know, this is what I've tried to encourage, you know, the, the females in my family with is, look, it's not about you. 
it's about thinking about the other person first, all in the context of we're submitted to to God, uh, and that goes that also goes that tr- holds true. I mean, that whole idea of we're, we're representing Him. So when we're out in public, I mean, if we have a kippah on or if we have our zitzi out, we better be really, really careful about what we're doing, where we're going, how we're speaking, because uh, we're representing Him. But to the to the uninitiated, we're also representing Judaism. Whether you consider yourself as Jewish or practicing Judaism, if you're walking around town with a kippah in Zitzi, the uninitiated, if they know anything at all, I mean, a lot of people don't even know what Zitzi are, but they know pretty much everybody in in this country knows what a kippah knows that kippahs are worn by Jews. So if you're out wearing a kippah, you're representing Judaism, whether you know it or not. So we need to make sure that we are not doing something that brings dishonor or is disingenuous towards Judaism. Mm -hmm. Right? Whether they believe in the Messiah or not is is really not the point in this particular in this particular situation. That's why the rule in my family is, uh, you know, Jonathan, you guys know he wears his, his keeping his eat seat everywhere he goes. But he also knows that if he's out and he's going to go into a restaurant that's not kosher, which is every restaurant in town, he takes his keeper off and he sticks his eat seat in his pants. Why Why? Did, why is that the rule? Are we ashamed to wear keeper and eat seat? Of course not. But we're not going to go into an unkosher restaurant representing Judaism when Judaism would not be in that restaurant. You know, it's not, it doesn't matter whether, you know, we're more lenient, less lenient, more strict, less strict as far as kashrut goes. It's, it's, it's what my concern, what I've taught my kids is, look, you know, because the conversation was, well, Dad, an Orthodox Jew's not going to be in there. Well, of course not. It's not the Orthodox Jew that I'm worried about um, um, misrepresenting. Or, well, I'm worried about misrepresenting Orthodox Judaism, but that's not who I'm worried about offending. The person I'm worried about offending is the secular Jew who's in the unkosher restaurant who sees somebody walk in with a kippah and says, ah, see, just another hypocritical religious Jew. So, so, well, but... But either way, it's, it's in my opinion, I mean, you have a different opinion, but in my opinion... That's we're not representing. We're misrepresenting uh, the king and his people. The king and his people. Bottom line, though, I think is we should be affecting the culture. Now we may look at the culture in order to determine some of our halakha when it comes to the cross-dressing thing, but we should be affecting the culture. I don't know about you, but people don't curse as much when I'm there as when I'm not there. We should be that salt. You know, most people don't open the door for their, you know, the car door for their wives. You guys do. You know what? Other men start to do it. You stand up when a gray-haired man comes in the room. You stand up when a woman comes to the table. What happens? 
people start to do it. We should be affecting the culture. I mean, even the church knows that. They tell a story about um, missionaries, and you know, they had this liberal guy come to the church and say, well, I just don't think our missionaries should be you know, changing the culture of these, these natives. We should let them live and, you know, in their own way and just share the gospel with them. You know, and you know, this woman stands up and says, you know, if the culture didn't get changed, you'd be in that pot. Because we were cannibals before the missionaries showed up. Our faith should change the culture. <laughs> <laughs> That's a point. Right. Great. Quick question, since we're on the subject of modesty. When we were in the Bahamas, we actually saw a rabbi who was, you know, of course this is a beach, and so he had a t-shirt and really long board shorts, like deep, deep keeper, the whole bit. Would you, what would you say about, or what have you read about men during the summer months swimming and all that when it comes to a t-shirt or not? I'll be honest with you, I haven't really researched the modesty issue too deeply. Okay, I, I just focused mostly on, on comp- contrasting it with cross-dressing. Um, but um, just based on this topic, it sounds like somebody needs to step up and do this lesson. Um, but that's, a, that's an interesting question. I haven't, I haven't honestly, I, would, I wouldn't know what to say on that one. That's a good question. Good question. Um, any other comments? I'm going to refrain on mine based on your previous statement. Okay. Um, uh, some exceptions, and this is actually, this becomes really important when you're talking about the issue of cross-dressing, because you look at it, and it's really easy to think, wow, the standard's like super strict, and we're going to be like, you know, I'm dressing like I did, uh, you know, we're going to make sure everything is as manly or as feminine as possible to make sure there's no, cl- there are some exceptions, here are some examples. Unisex, by the way, is okay. Unisex clothing is okay. The Talmud actually cites that Rabbi Yehuda and his wife shared the same cloak. Apparently she made this cloak out of wool, she wore it to go to the marketplace, he wore it to go pray, and it was no big deal. It's fine. Partly because, again, it's protected from the elements, but again, this is also a unisex item. It's not one way or the other. It was an item to keep warm. No problem. So in question to your, to your issue before, um, I would have an issue with, like, um, my wife wearing a button-down shirt of mine, but, like, if you were to share a sweatshirt that says large on the inside, <laughs> you know? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's my opinion. So I would see that as a unisex item. No issue there. Um, if your intention is okay, some would even say you're allowed to cross-dress for a theater reason, but the accepted opinion is no. Um, there are some who hold that it's okay to have one item, like a scarf that's not the right gender, but the rest of the clothes are clearly your gender. But ideally, it's best not to. So again, just to make that clear. That goes in contradiction the Shulchan Aruch, which says not even one article. It does. And the key here is the intention point. Their argument is, it's in theater, you're not trying to be promiscuous, you're not trying to disguise yourself to go and hang out with the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. It's clear you're doing it just because it's part of a play, so therefore it would be okay. Again, that's a minority opinion, I think, that says it's okay. Um, most say don't. There's just some debate on how it is. Ultimately, though, I like the end of it. Best not. If you can no. avoid it... Why? Isn't it, isn't it either interacting is deception? To a degree. I don't think it's wrong to act. It's an illusion. But yeah. I mean, basically, you're creating an illusion, you're playing a role. That's very true. And I don't think it's wrong to, to be involved in theater. Let me pick that point. It's your gender. But, uh, yeah, I would encourage, if possible, ideally, you know, I think one example I thought that was really kind of funny was they said they had, like, a girl's school, and the girls had to play some guy parts or whatever, and they still wore dresses anyway. But, um... Well, big mustache. I just thought of something kind of pertaining to that. I think back to the, your, your example of the Shakespearean actors. 
Yes, the plays and you know, the contain <laughs> contain men and women characters, but they were all male. Yeah, it, the, the women were simply not allowed to play those parts. It didn't, it didn't matter how good you were as an actor, but it was a society ruled segregation. It was a modesty issue in there in that society. I don't, that, I don't know if that was the whole In Japan, it's just so. the opposite. Exactly. The women were all the actresses, and they wore masks and whatnot to pretend to be men. Exactly. Well, I, and I think with this issue, um, my point on the best not thing, I really focus on that in our culture. It's, I don't really see a lot of reason to, to, to the opposite gender. Um, other cultures where there's like a very exclusionary reference to theater, there may be more variance. Again, this is a debatable topic. I'm just simply throwing out my thoughts, some thoughts here. I just, the thought occurred to me about all those men men wearing those white wigs and that. Well, actually, in the 1700s, men wearing the white wigs probably wouldn't be such a big deal. Again, talking culture. Um, another important point, the Bach and Taz both say that it's okay for protection from cold. Some disagree with that. Regardless, the idea is partial attire. You mentioned earlier if your wife is cold, you have a coat on. Put your coat on her. That's, you look at her, you know she's got a dress on, you know, she's got her hair out, she's got a coat on. The code is obviously not attempting to look like a guy. Now, on the contrary, if you look, you know, it's not appropriate for your wife to go in rummaging through your clothes, find your, you know, your nicest suit and go out because it's cold. Okay, well, no, that's different. So the, kish, the issue here would be like a, a partial attire. If you, um, there's a lot of examples. We're going to get to a little lengthy exceptionalist in a minute, but you'll see there's a lot of examples of this. Things like a raincoat, okay? You know, it's pouring rain outside. The only raincoat that's by the door is a girl's one. I gotta just grab it real quick and dash out, you know, whatever. I'm, I don't know how that would look if it's like pink and flowers, but my point being is there are there are some exceptions on. Even if it's a pink, you know, umbrella. Yeah, umbrellas are another thing, and umbrellas get mentioned. So there are exceptions based on practical use. If it's practical in your use, and again, it's clear from the rest of you, you're not trying to dress like somebody else. That's different. Another point of view is self-defense. This comes up with the weapons issue that was mentioned earlier. If a woman is in danger, she's fine to use a weapon. And that exception seemed pretty broad. Um, some more exceptions. Purim. What do you do? Is it okay to dress like the opposite gender for Purim? Um, this is a weird one where the custom changed. Originally, it was more, or earlier, it was more lenient. It's okay to dress like the opposite gender because it's for fun, not for trying to actually be the opposite gender. But... Today, the general trend is definitely do not. Um, there are exceptions. They do let some small children dress that way. And some say that adults can wear, like, one item. Again, going back to the other thing with the theater. Um, my personal opinion, I'm going to get to this in a minute. My personal opinion is, again, why? I mean, I've watched you guys that have come to the forum parties. Y'all are hilarious. You don't need to dress like a woman for me to laugh at you because you're just you're brilliant in their creativity. Um, I still remember Peter showing up as George W. Bush complete with the mask. That was amazing. So I, I would tend to think there's no reason to. Don't do it. But there's, again, Judaism has debate on the topic. Um, we're going with the gun issue. Rav Moshe Feinstein, this is yeshiva.org. Um, his comment is that the rifle and other military-type weapons are man's weapons and therefore should not be used by women. But a pistol or other self-defense, personal self-defense weapons, um, that's like more of a unisex issue. So a woman can carry around a pistol because you'd use it for self-defense. Okay, but the point, the point being is, the point being, again, the, the purpose is self-defense. Um, now, obviously, some of you who are in the military are going to have, well, what about women in the military? The IDF actually has a female combat unit, but I don't know that Orthodox women are in that. 
So, Jews disagree on this. I'm sure there's probably some debate within um, religious as well, although my focus in the religious circles seem to be less debated on this one, actually. But, again, as I, as I said before, this is a I report, you decide thing. I'm giving you kind of what the general consensus is and it's a bunch of different views. It's not gospel. As we, are, we already looked at the one verse in scripture that deals with this. So, so practical exceptions. Tor.org, if you want to get a real solid list of every possible exception you can imagine, Tor.org is amazing. They say that a man, and this I'm assuming women probably are included in this as well to a degree, but they use the example of a man. A man can wear, quote, his wife's sweater, scarf, socks, or slippers if he's cold and needs to warm himself her raincoat or boots if it's raining, her slippers if he needs to protect his feet from cold or wetness, or her apron if he is cooking and needs protection from splatters. That last one being very important, because I don't know about you guys, I don't have my own apron, so that might be a necessity. Oh! (laughs) Yes, you should. I think think there are some examples of uh, guys cooking in the scriptures. It's no big deal. Uh, Yeshua's fairly famous for that fish breakfast, you know. <laughs> and the oil splatters. Yeah, it does, you know. So um, Now, the Torah.org goes on to say that, quote, while a minority opinion disagrees with all of the above, and some poskim, which is a, kind of a phrase meaning a legal decider, recommend being stringent, the basic halakha follows the more lenient view. So again, there's debate, but on things when it comes to practical exceptions for clothing, the general halakha follows the lenient perspective. Um, they also include some other examples. A man can wear a wife's watch or ring for safekeeping. You know, wife goes off somewhere, she has to go wash her hands, whatever, she gives you her wedding ring. Putting it in your pocket may not have been the best idea, guys. It's okay to put it on your finger if you're really that concerned about losing it. Um, they mention sunglasses if the purpose is to protect his eyes from the sun's rays. So again, um, there are practical exceptions. The key to all of this, though, is what do you see? He's not trying to look like her. He's not trying to make a fashion statement that looking like a girl is okay. He's doing it because there's no other option or it just is the most simplistic approach to handling this issue. So that's something to keep in mind. Some miscellaneous exceptions, they also say, lo yilbash, you see that phrase means do not wear. Um, It does not apply to umbrellas or to canes as a walking aid or handkerchiefs. um, Even if a particular type or style is designed for use by men primarily or by women primarily. In other words, um, there is actually broad exception here on very practical items. They also say that a bobby pin or a hair clip is okay for your keeper. Thank goodness, because I tend to lose mine. Um, uh, and of course, again, wearing a, a ring on your finger. Judaism traditionally does not actually men do not wear wedding rings in in certain parts of Jewish, Jewish culture, but they do say that if it's normal to wear a ring, a man may do so. So in America, you're all good. And um, to all those who really wanted to wear, ride your wife or daughter's bicycle, that's all good. You can do that. It's safer. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah, oh yeah, the toupee, the toupee is in there too. The guy can wear the toupee. Um, uh, well, we'll see. Um, that's a separate topic. We uh, <laughs> Again, all of this is simply to get you thinking, get you considering another topic. Um, and then I'm going to finalize, finally just kind of finish up some of my recommendations. I won't go too specific unless you want me to, but we'll just start off. I would say, some we've already talked about already tonight, husbands, fathers, you guys set the standard. It's easy to say, my wife knows what she's doing, I trust her. That doesn't count. 
even if you talk to her and you accept everything she says and you think that's great advice, wife, I totally agree with you. At the end of the day, you're the one making the decision. As Mrs. Cotrini is very famous for saying, it's your fault. Fix it. Something Fix goes it. wrong. It's your fault. You're responsible. You're the leader. A coach for a sporting team, doesn't matter what player dropped the ball, no matter what player messed up, at the end of the day, the loss is hung on him. Same thing for you guys. So I encourage you, if you haven't done this already with your family, start thinking about things. doesn't mean that you have to be strict. doesn't mean that you have to go blow up your whole life routine the way it's going now. But make sure that you're the one setting the standard, not letting it be set for you. Um, I can, for those of you who haven't been married quite as long as some of the rest of us, I can't tell you it's not a one-time thing. It's not like you sit down and you decide all the halakha for your family. It doesn't work like that. You sit down and periodically, life happens. Time passes. Kids get older. Things change. You get a review. You know, well, how, how late can you stay out? What can I wear? Well, you were able to wear that when you were four, but you can't wear that now that you're 14. You know, that kind of thing. So, it's, it's a cycle. Again, my, my stance is that gender neutral is okay. So um, I would even go so far as to say that if it's found in the men's section, but there's no tag inside that says men's or women's, I think that's more or less okay. Because in most stores, you're not going to find a gender neutral section. They don't have this little kind of vague thing in between the guy and girl section to go. Yeah. <laughs> so I would tend to say in general, gender neutral is fine. That's my recommendation. You take it or leave it. You don't have to. That's just my perspective. My question on things like Purim or theater or other issues as well is, is it necessary? If you're wearing an item from the opposite gender, do you need to? If you don't need to, maybe don't. Let's be careful what, what we're giving is the appearance of evil as well. I was just going to say, that's exactly the reason why most of us wouldn't go and meet to discuss Torah at a Starbucks on Shabbat. Because you're in a place of commerce, and it's just, you're giving the appearance of evil. You may not have bought anything, but nobody knows that. And actually, if you're in a Starbucks and not buying anything, that's really not fair to the Starbucks. That's right. That's right. But is it necessary thing? If you're wearing something, are you doing it because of your own fleshly desire to do it because I feel like doing it, even though you know maybe you should be doing it? Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's an issue to keep in mind, too. So, again, that's not to say that there's not room for being creative, that's being, even being fashionable to a degree. I think, personally, I love the fact that if you go to Jerusalem today and you see the Orthodox, the modern Orthodox women walking around, um, they're wearing all sorts of colors. They look gorgeous. I mean, they are fashionable. They look very much like they know what they're doing with their dress code, but they're extremely modest. There are ways to do this and still look good. So my point with the, with the cross-dressing issue is the same. If it's not necessary, question it. doesn't mean you have to throw it out, but let's stop. So like with Purim, with theater, if you can avoid it, I would. Purpose, again, is it practical? What's the reason for why you're doing this? Um, you need to be asking that question as well. You know, if you're... Um, I, I'm not saying I would or wouldn't do this. This is just a general example. You might have for uh, girls playing sports. There are no female shorts that go longer than here. Okay, so some I know I know cases in the past where they had girls buy guys shorts because there was nothing else that they could wear. I don't know if that's necessarily right or wrong. I'm just saying as an example of what's the purpose behind what you're doing. Um, and again, also we talked about this earlier. What's the style today? I'd encourage you guys not to be in the world. Don't go surfing on fashion channels to get all the information. But just keep your eyes open. You know, 
it's easy enough to see if you go to work, if you go driving somewhere, if you go to a restaurant, if you ever, ever watch a film or TV or anything at all, or watch the news, whatever, read the newspaper, you're going to see a general idea of what's normal. doesn't mean you have to be on the cutting edge, but it's helpful to be relevant in a sense without compromising. And then lastly, um, especially as, as some of you guys may be settling down with some of your wives or daughters for the first time to talk about some of these things, I'd really encourage you to be gracious and compassionate. Uh, remember that the strictest standard isn't always the best one. And just because you don't want to put the research into it doesn't mean that you can cop out and say, well, we're just doing as strict as possible. Um, and that's one thing I would encourage the last point. Especially talk about fashion. Talking with women in your life is almost essential. You're not going to know if that coat is worn by women or not unless you ask your wife, is this coat worn by women or not? You know, you're not going to necessarily understand some issues. As a guy, modesty is easier because I can look at that dress and I can say that's too tight or too short. But some of the other topics, some of the issues are not as clear. So talking through, your, through, your, with, through it with your wives especially, I strongly encourage that. It gives you a much better idea of kind of wrapping your mind around this topic. Um, so. Real simple. The Lord bringing this in mind four or five years ago as we were growing through it is now affecting how we dress our daughter. What does daddy find beautiful? She's more likely to be the guy who seeks the same if she's dressing that way. <laughs> Just to tag along to the what is the style today, you mentioned looking around you, and I think that's a lot more important than looking at the fashion magazines and oh, TV yeah. and everything, because most of the time those are the things that they're wanting people to dress like, as opposed to what is relevant because that, just for me I used to every once in a while look through like GQ and stuff and most of that is like tight stuff for guys and when you look around you it's like they're very rarely guys wearing the things that are in these magazines so it, it just it's and that goes back again look reality. you're absolutely right that goes back again to whose standard are we looking at um, I, I think when you're talking about an issue like cross-dressing I think it's totally fine in a general sense to see what's this part of the standard norm you don't need to be up on the cutting edge. In fact, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, the cutting edge might be pushing it too far. So, you know, in that sense, when I say knowing the style today, I don't mean, again, I don't mean going through fashion magazines, especially as a guy that can be dangerous. Um, but at the same time, just keep your eyes open. Keep your head on your shoulders. Um, you know, the old phrase, too heavenly minded to be earthly good. Unfortunately today, sometimes you want to be so isolated. You want to be so... Um, you know, incubated, uh, that you can become, you know, it's like a bomb shelter mentality. And you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not watching what's going around you. So without compromising, it's helpful to have a, a general idea of what's happening around you. So that pretty much concludes all of that. Um, any, ooh, any comments or questions on this topic? The big one. Okay. Real quick, I would I was gonna bring up colors, but that would sort of be a a local culture thing. 
I think to a degree, um, the, the sages do have an issue with some colors being more female or not. Um, actually, they do actually bring that up. I, my personal opinion would be more of a cultural thing to, a, to an extent, um, and that does change with time. Um, again, I, my, my main issue in all of this is what are you doing? What image are you portraying? Obviously, today, you can have a guy wearing a pink tie, and he just looks fashionable. He looks smartly dressed, whatever. Um, it's different from somebody who's trying to... Again, I don't want to step anyone's toes, but the, the old image that actually created a separate gender, practically, of the metrosexual, to a degree, I think was pushing the limit, in my opinion. Because it was the idea of a guy so well dressed, so he took, he was so meticulous, and maybe potentially had, we maybe had, you know, some eyeliner or some nails done. nails done or whatever. He had tight jeans, he had, you know, it, the idea was it was the guy who was yeah. more caring about fashion than any normal guy is. They called him metrosexual. In other words, he was like almost in his own little world. I think that's pushing the limit just a little bit, I, I think, in my opinion. So I would say that in, in that perspective, again, what are, what are you doing? I think today in our modern American culture, a guy wearing a pink shirt is probably fine. That's pretty common. Pete, no more eyeliner. Yeah. Ah, but, uh, but there are limits to that again. So, you know, a pink... Po- well, a manicure... I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would go that far, but it uses different perspectives. But again, like... Uh, but even, you know, mention color. Color is different between what item you're wearing, too. A, you know, a pink tie or pink polo shirt is different from wearing a pink dress. So... Uh, 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 but a blue dress is okay. Yeah, the pink kilt might be a little pushing it. Oh, on the cover. This one? Expand it to everyone. Yeah, I got you. I, I thank you, Adonai, my God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established our portion with idlers, for we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days, but as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joyce.